coming up, Subversity with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the future of the university uh, in the wake of all these cutbacks, uh, proposed cutbacks, and uh, all these cut- actual cutbacks, and uh, proposed furloughs, uh, furlough days, and s- such. Uh, with us will be uh, Professor who has been active in um, talking about this, trying to get um, more reasonable or reasoned um, analysis going on, and also uh, thinking beyond these uh, days of cutbacks and furloughs, uh, going beyond that to the future of the university. Uh, Coming up uh, on Subversity here with Dan Zhang, the opinions, as I said, are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. We're going to start off with the International. Uh, with us on the program is uh, Mark Levine from uh, UC Irvine, history professor, and who's been active in um, uh, talking and discussing the future of the university. Uh, hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? Thank you oh, so good. much for having me. Yeah, sorry for the rush. Uh, the, um, you know, I know you've been very active in trying to get the university senate uh, system-wide, uh, locally and system-wide, to come up with uh, reasonable furlough days. Uh, what's the status of that effort now? I don't really know what the status is, to be honest. I mean, I, I think clearly in some level, at least from the last town hall meeting, it seems that the administration and the academic senate, or at least the leadership of the senate, which voted to take some of the instruct, uh, some of the furloughs on instructional days, and even to close the school on those days, to really make it visible. It seems to me there's there's a disconnect between the two, and what I personally don't understand, and what I'm not sure uh, if, if anyone really understands, is if there's really a disconnect between the administration. And, and the Senate, who, who actually gets to decide what, how the furloughs are going to be taken. And that's what at least me and several other uh, colleagues are trying to figure out, if, if this continues. Yeah, I heard the uh, Chancellor talking with a couple of Academic Senate uh, folks uh, after the meeting, and he was saying that he didn't have the authority to um, impose furlough days on instructional days. Um, and he... Although the you know the instructions from the university uh, president's office had said that it's a local decision on these furlough days, but he said he didn't have the authority on changing instruction days, and he also said that um, he, he professed concern for the students and that the legislature already someone were already out to attack us, and he so he gave that argument. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that's a there's two issues there. One, one is, is the chancellor's authority, which I've, I have no idea how that really works. You know, and I don't know if it's a campus-specific based on the bylaws of, of each campus or whether there's a general issue or whether that's just a way of saying I don't have the authority but you do, you know, handing it back to the Senate so that if a decision's made, it can be the responsibility of the faculty and not the administration, which is probably, in fact, a good idea. So I, I don't know how to, oh, yeah. how to how to read that in, in a sense. I'm sure he's. I'm sure it's true that if he says it, that he doesn't have the authority because there's state mandates with how many days of instruction you need, et cetera. So I think it would have to be uh, the faculty itself 
which is what it should be, I think. You know, we, we need to decide. Um, the, the issue, there is a really big debate among faculty, for sure, about um, whether taking furlough days uh, on instructional days would harm students. Uh, certainly the system-wide academic council and our own academic senate leadership and the academic uh, senate leadership at Santa Cruz and I think a couple of other schools already, I'm not sure, have clearly voted pretty much unanimously that to take them during instructional days, feeling that it's not going to give any undue harm to the students and that it is very important to get people to understand students, community members, their parents, faculty, everyone, that these furloughs are actually, you know, have an impact, have a cost, and they can't just be absorbed during, uh, during holidays. They can't just be absorbed during non-instructional time because they represent a much larger attack on the fundamental basis of UC. UC is supposed to offer, you know, a great education to all Californians. And I think why those of us who want to take the furloughs during instructional days, not to go to the beach, mind you, or stay home. You know, most of us are talking about using that time to do teach-ins or to discuss with our students how we can all be working together to reclaim higher education in California. So I, I think, you know, those of us who want to do it during instructional days feel that making it visible and using it as a way to, to get the whole UCI community together, staff, students, and faculty, you know, will ultimately uh, do much more good than any harm that missing, you know, one or two classes out of uh, ten weeks would do. Uh, at the same meeting, he also asked people to uh, work harder with less pay. Well, you know, in, in one sense, there's always the notion that, you know, when times are tough, we all have to pull together as a community. And, and I certainly don't know a single faculty person here who in any way would say, well, I'm not doing as much work because of this furlough, I'm going to be paid less. First of all, no one can do less work, right? All of us, uh, you academics, know, we, yeah, we okay. have to publish, right? We have to do our research. We have to supervise other students' research, et cetera, and other colleagues' research. So the fact that, and that's one of the reasons, I think, why we want to have at least some of the furlough days during instruction, which is that, you know, it's not like all we do is teach. So if you, you know, if you take the furloughs on non-instructional days, they're not really furloughs. They're just pay cuts. And as far as I understand it, the chancellor, you know, admitted, quite frankly, in, in the last town hall that these are really pay cuts. They're not, they're, they're furloughs, which is certainly a better alternative because of our benefits and things like that and retirement issues, but they are, in, a, in effect, pay cuts. Uh, but they have been done in, in furloughs, and furloughs, you know, the only, furloughs means you're being technically locked out of your place of work. So for us to, to call it a furlough and then you know, not actually do a furlough and, and to just work for less is, is essentially, from my perspective, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but from my perspective is basically rolling over to the state's continued efforts to privatize UC, to cut the budgets, and really to ruin what was the greatest public university in the history of the world. So we have to fight back. And this is just one of a lot of ways of fighting back. How, how do you stop this private, or uh, slow down this privatization? Well, I think slowing down is like slowing down a car that's heading off a cliff. So <laughs> in the end, you're off the cliff. So, uh, you know, slowing down, I don't think, is an option. I think the only option is, first of all, a massive public education campaign. If faculty 
were unionized uh, at UC, I think we'd have a much easier time because we'd have a union that would have funds that could actually put together a campaign, you know, do commercials, do full-page ads in the L.A. Times and other major California papers to begin to educate people about what the value of UC is. I think the main issue is that the, the public is just doesn't have a clue about what this means. When I've listened to even progressive radio stations, so-called, like KPCC or, or others where, you know, where people have called in, people are just so ignorant, and they are suffering, and they, they are taking the position. And, and I think this is what's giving people pause who, who don't want to take furloughs during instructional days. They're like, you know, these guys are whiners. They're lucky they have a job. If they don't want to work for less money, let them find somewhere else to work. You know, they just don't have any clue what it means to teach in a public university, what the value of it is, how the system works, what tenure is. They, they don't have a clue, and they just see us as just part of the rest of the corporate society, and, and, and we, except that we have job security, so therefore we should be even luckier. We should feel lucky and just take whatever they give us. But the problem is, is that what they're giving us is a corporatized, privatized university, which is going to offer less for more money. Uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, student tuition is going to be raised even more next year. There's every likelihood that the furloughs are going to continue more next year. More, you know, there was just a major article last week uh, in, one of, in one of the Austin newspapers urging the University of Texas to capitalize on UC's woes and lure away all the best talent. That's already happening in other places. So, you know, it's going to have, it's going to have a horrible impact on the future of this university, and it's not going to be one that's going to be repairable because it's a, it's a, you know it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. As the funding goes down, you get less and less really good people. Tuition goes up, you get smaller students, and it just becomes a cycle that's almost impossible to break out of. So that's I think the end result. But in terms of stopping it, you have to educate people. You have to let people understand that you can't privatize a public good and have it turn out well. There are very few public goods, if you talk about water resources or other kinds of resources, when they're, when they're privatized, that they work out. Uh, the fact that, you know, people are senior leadership at UC and senior administrators are saying, you know, we need to be competitive now with the University of Mississippi or Missouri, I forget which one, but with all due respect to them, if these are where we're now comparing ourselves to or be competitive with, then UC is dead. It's no longer UC. So we need to explain to people that some things cannot be privatized. We know that this is a very difficult task given what's happening with the health care debate and how easily people on the right are, um, are able to twist this. But, mm -hmm. but I think that we can, you know, with students, you know, and their parents who have to pay. You know, when students, when we need to explain to parents that you are going to pay more for your child to get a degree that's worth less. When you go out, when they go out in the marketplace four years from now and they have a UCI degree, it's not going to be worth what it was seven years ago when it was fully funded and we had the best faculty around and everything. People are going to start to think less of UC. They're going to compare it to other smaller private schools that don't have the same reputation, and yet students are going to be paying twice as much in a couple of years to what they've been paying now. So when you look at this, I think if we explain it rationally to parents, right, and get through this gut, you know, this sort of gut reaction that, well, everything's suffering and let's just suffer through it and move on and get on with our life, if we explain to people that this is really going to harm their, their children, 
in the long term and cost them more money. That, I think, is the first way to stop this. And, and the second way is we have to fight. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, so many colleagues of mine are just shocked at how passive the larger faculty and students have been as UC has been slowly pulled apart, you know, since uh, Schwarzenegger and even before, but especially since Schwarzenegger took office. And if, as long as we sit by silently, they're going to keep taking money from us, which is totally normal. And, and in some ways, if you're a politician and you need to take money, you're going to take it from whoever complains the least. So if we don't start complaining a lot more loudly and making these costs as painful for those who are imposing them as it is on those of us who are suffering through them, they're going to continue to use us as a convenient place to take more and more money out and turn us into the University of Michigan, essentially, you know, where it's a public university only in name. And the reality is that uh, it's got market rate tuitions. The number of in-state students who can afford to go there has dropped, you know, uh, precipitously, which harms the economy, and it survives off of you know football and uh, or basketball and and you know out of state students. That's not what UC's mandate was historically, and I don't think most of us want it to move in that direction. Definitely not in the master plan. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it doesn't help that all these senior executives are getting uh, you know high salaries. One of your colleagues in the UC recently did an analysis and showed that what 190 people were getting. Employees were getting over four hundred thousand dollars salaries. Um, well, this is this is a really big thing. I mean, I think there's a couple of issues that that I don't want to I don't want to blow them out of proportion, but I think they're I think they're worth us as a community looking at. You know, um, first of all, one of them is I think there's a class divide in UC, um, and and I think it's between the high much higher paid uh, professors who, um, you know, most of them from sciences, but also maybe senior administration, you know, in humanities or social sciences who have been deans or whatever and, and have the much higher salaries, um, versus those of us who have middle-class salaries and, and for whom losing 8% of your salary is a huge thing. Right. Um, many of the, There was just this horrible letter by 21 chairs and, and directors at San UC, UC San Diego. Yeah saying basically we need to recognize that there's three elite universities, Berkeley, L.A., and, of course, San Diego. Um, <laughs> of course. Surprise, surprise. And focus resources on them, close, you know, the universities that happen to serve brown people, like Merced and, uh, uh, or Santa Cruz and... Um, Riverside. Or Riverside. And then let the rest of us, like Irvine, just sort of be teaching colleges. I mean, it's just shocking how little solidarity there is. But, you know, what's most interesting is, is, is this redefinition of what elite is. Some of the people, one of the people who signed this is the chair of history uh, at San Diego, I think John Marino, you know, uh, who has been around a very long time, and, and I looked at his CV, and his CV is almost the average CV for someone in our department going up for tenure. So who's defining, you know, so for him to be calling himself elite, I'm sure he's a great scholar, but how, you know, his, this, this idea, you can see what they're doing to us. They're trying to divide us. So right away, people's first reaction is, okay, how do I stay in the elite so I don't get cut? And then people are, you know, as soon as you do that, you've got to define the other guy as not being the elite. And this is utter, you know, this is so destructive. And the fact you have 21 people who theoretically are smart since they're, chairs and professors at one of the so-called elite UCs, and they're that stupid 
I mean, that's pretty frightening. And it shows you how easy this is going to be for them if we don't get smart, you know, really quickly. So the first thing I, I think is, is really a, a class divide in terms of the professors who make a lot and, and uh, who, who see themselves as the elite and are not really, you know, being humble about their own positions or having any solidarity. And the other thing is a huge divide between sciences and um, on the one hand, and humanities, arts, and social sciences on the other. I think the hard, many of the hard scientists here, they're not in the same university as we are. First of all, their pay scales are very different because they, they can compete. They have to compete with private industry, whereas, you know, humanities, there's no, nothing else we can do other than teach, right? So, uh, I mean, within... As teachers, you know, researchers can go to private companies and do the same research. So, you know, A, there are different pay scales. B, they have huge federal fundings, which, while certainly they've suffered in recent years, there's also, you know, there's federal stimulus money for most of my colleagues who are doing sciences that they can reach out for now. There's no federal, you know, or if there is, there's very little humanities stimulus money. You know, there's nothing that can really affect uh, any significant percentage of, of people doing our research. And, and they don't teach as much. So their perception of what it means to be a professor at UC is very different for many of them, especially those who really are just in their own little spheres, their own labs, and don't have a wider, you know, a wider understanding of UC. I've talked to many colleagues in sciences. They have no clue what's happening in the humanities. They don't understand the defunding of humanities. They don't understand that UCI's humanities school was one of the premier humanities schools anywhere in the world, certainly in the U.S., and we've lost, you know, a huge number of our best people in the last two years. They don't understand it because it's not a situation that's happening to them to that degree yet, but it will happen to them. So I think we have to educate our colleagues, which is what we're trying to do with our ad hoc committee, which is meeting um, again this Thursday at 4 o'clock in HIB 135, you know, and trying to bring together faculty, students, staff, uh, to really educate our, each other about what's happening and, and to try to figure out a way to resist this. So I think we have to educate first ourselves, then the students, then their parents and the community. And secondly, we have to figure out how to draw the line because I, I think personally, this is not anyone's official view in our little right. ad hoc group, but my own view is that if we don't draw a line very publicly now about next year, then they're just going to raise tuition 20% have more furlough days, cut more staff, more people are going to leave. It's just going to get worse. So I'm hoping that we can come together and, and become much more militant, to be completely honest, in, in refusing what's happening. Uh, I don't know if that will happen, but I think if it doesn't, if we, do, if we roll over, if we accept it without you know, a lot of protest and letting people know that we will not accept this next time, then they will quite logically just keep imposing these cuts year after year until they've succeeded in, pri in essentially privatizing UC and writing us out of the state budget. How about this new commission that they're setting up on the future of UC? It seems kind of top-heavy with administrators. Well, I mean, you know, there's two huge problems with the commission. First, as you pointed out, is that it's, it's almost entirely administrators with a few LMs. Um, and, and not the not the sort of infantry of the faculty who actually have the most understanding of what's going on and and and, and how, what needs to be done to you know quote unquote reinvent the, the, the system. But the, the second thing is is the very premise, and this is this is where I think most of us 
uh, want to make a stand. Instead of saying the defunding of UC has to stop and we need to figure out, this commission has to figure out how to get the state and the citizens of California to understand that it has to stop and that it's only going to cost us more to defund it than it would to fully fund it, if you think of lost revenues and jobs and all that. Um, instead of that, the basic premise is, and I'm sort of quoting from memory, you know, the long-term pattern of disinvestment by the state in UC. And, and that's the premise. So it's not even questioning whether that should stay or can stay. And, and what are the alternatives? When we all know there are many alternative sources of revenues that have not been tapped at all, whether it's oil extraction taxes, whether it's closing loophole, corporate tax loopholes that Schwarzenegger has enacted, even in the last few years for billions of dollars a year to corporations, even as he saw the, um, the downturn coming to, you know, raising income taxes on the richest Californians, making more than three or 600000 which, of course, might affect some of those wealthy professors you mentioned, you know, <laughs> or, 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 you know, or actually restructuring California's tax system through a constitutional convention if necessary so that, you know, a more equitable and stable tax system can come into being that doesn't have boom or bust years as easily and is just much... Uh, you know, much better able to, to fully fund crucial programs. So, so this is, I think, what we need to do. We need to really draw a line in the sand and, and, and stick by it, because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I mean, we are, especially faculty, among the most privileged people on earth to have these jobs, and, and, if, and with that, in my mind, comes great responsibility. So I think we need to use that privilege and that responsibility to be a forceful advocate for changing this tax structure and making sure that Californians understand that you can't have the California we've all come to love if you don't fully fund K through 12, if you don't fund colleges and universities, if you don't fund health care, if you don't fund infrastructure, and that actually costs money, and we have to be willing to do that if we want to live in a society that is, you know, that is worth living in. Well, thank you very much. I know you have to rush. So, well, thank you for having me, and, and again, I'd urge any students, staff, professors uh, who, who want to come to our meeting um, at HIB, uh, Humanities and Structural Building 135, at uh, 4 p.m. on Thursday to uh, please do so or to contact me if they, uh, if they want more information at uh, mlevine at uci.edu. Thank you. Okay, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was Mark Levine. Um, history professor at UC Irvine with a call to action for his fellow comrades in the UC faculty as well as for students and staff to speak out about this current crisis. Um, this is Dan Zhang with Subversity here.